From Steel Valley Media, this is the Frosty Podcast. Welcome to the Frosty Podcast. I'm Derek Frost, joined as always by Coach Tony Perenni. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Podbean. We've got a great show lined up for you today. We're going to be going through some NFL news and notes. We're going to be talking Browns. We're going to be talking Raiders. Uh, we're real excited to be joined by Coach Dave Pestian a little later on the Frosty Hotline. Uh, first things first, though, Tony, how you doing this week? Doing good. Uh, over here recording on a Sunday, and we are just a few Sundays away from real action now. So it's uh, really starting to amp up, really starting to get excited for this draft that's coming up in uh, two weeks, three weeks. Yeah, coming up quick on the 26th, uh, two weeks. So we have uh, trade de- trade opens tomorrow, Monday, at 8 o'clock. Uh, so fantasy is getting underway. We're going into week two of preseason. It's coming quick. Yeah, it's really exciting. Speaking of the uh, preseason, I know you were doing some uh, in-person scouting at the Browns game this past week. Uh, what observations do you have? Was doing some in-person scouting, like you said. Uh, I'll tell you what, I'm excited I'm real excited for the Browns this year. Uh, You know, they come in week one, first drive, they win the coin toss, and they're like, you know, we're not deferring, we're taking the ball. Now, in the preseason, we had these unwritten rules of if you're going to do anything out of the ordinary, you give the other team a heads up. So the Browns did that, right? They went no huddle that first first drive. They they warned Washington we're going to be doing this. So Washington knew it was coming. They weren't catching anybody off guard. That wasn't the plan. But... This is the Browns strategy, it seems, is that we are going to be loud. We're going to be in your face. So where most teams would huddle up and and kind of go at a slow introductory pace, the Browns like, forget that, right? We're coming at you from the start. And we see that great drive. Uh, Baker throws that 24-yard touchdown down the middle of the field. And the place is just going nuts, right? And then we go to defense. And... Miles Garrett, and we're used to this from him, he's just menacing back there. Uh, you know, he he gets the holding call, uh, one of four that the Redskins have throughout the game, and they look great. The backups look great. Uh, you know, we didn't get to see Odell. We didn't get to see Jarvis. But the rest of the team, I mean, this is going to be great to watch. Yeah, I mean, that, that first drive was extremely impressive, especially when you throw in the fact that the Redskins knew this was coming. They, they, they tipped them off ahead of time. You know, we're going to make a situation out of this one drive that we have. It's going to be a two-minute situation. Be prepared on your end. We're not huddling. We're going. And they still shredded them like they weren't even there. It was basically seven on seven out there. Um, extremely impressive. And just on your note of just their personality of the team this year, um, I, I feel like – kind of a good picture of where they are in the entire organization right now. You look at John Dorsey, you look at Freddie Kitchens, you look at Baker Mayfield, some of the guys they brought on now, Odell Beckham, Jarvis Landry. These guys are all really the same person. Like they're all, they're going to tell you what they're going to do and then they're going to go out to do it. All of them. And I, I really like the fact that the team finally has a mentality from top to bottom that seems to really connect with each other. Um, Obviously, going out there and doing it in meaningful games is going to be a whole nother deal. But um, if, you, if you look at the past of these players, of Baker, of Jarvis, of Odell, um, 
you know, they have a pretty good track record of being able to back up their words, all of them. So I think it's a very exciting place to be. And obviously the defense, that defensive line stays healthy is going to be menacing for a lot of quarterbacks this year. Yeah. And, you know, expanding on the, on the mentality that the Browns are going with. So while I was there, they had about a two minute montage of sports media. Uh, so Colin Cowherd, Stephen A. Smith, so on and so forth, giving their takes that they've been giving on the Browns. And I'll tell you, as a fan, it kind of hit me funny because we keep hearing out of out of all these teams, you know, we don't listen to outside. You know, we're only worried about what's going on in our building and we can't whatever the media says, is what the media is going to say. But and I know I don't think the coaches, the players have a whole lot of of say in what video montages they play on the on the uh, big screen. Right. But I think it is an organizational decision to listen to what the media is saying and use it as fuel. Now, I get that, but at the same time, I don't like it. Um, Baker Mayfield has not been quiet about the feud with Colin Cowherd. Um, Colin Cowherd obviously is is loving it, taking up all the ratings he can from it. But but I don't know, Tony, how does that strike you? Uh, for me, it is, is the way I would prefer our quarterback to be. Probably not, but this is this is Baker. This is what he does. If, if he doesn't have a chip on his shoulder, he will find a way to manufacture a chip on his shoulder uh, by taking any any tiny slight from anyone out there and blowing it out of proportion. It's just what he does, and it fuels him. It doesn't, doesn't cause him to um, really freeze up in big moments. It causes him to shine in big moments. So uh, I, I, think, I think you see a lot of quarterbacks around the league do this. They just aren't as – as in the media when they do it, you know, Brady will always, if you, you do a slight at him, I remember the, obviously the big one is Anthony Smith of the Pittsburgh Steelers, Anthony Smith, Youngstown native, Anthony Smith calling out Tom Brady. And then Tom Brady goes out and torches him for two touchdowns. And then you never hear about Anthony Smith again, ever. And I know Rogers does this too, but they just aren't as involved on social media. They aren't going to go out, um, and use the microphones and things like that to talk about it. They're just going to go out, uh, isolate that person on film, figure out their weaknesses and go out and target them in the next game. And I think Baker does that too. I think, I think he's doing that side of it too. You just hear a little more about it on the front side. Yeah. And I'm with you. Like, I don't, I don't like the fact, like I, I kind of, you look at Brady, you look at Manning, you look at Rogers, you look at all these guys and they they would torture you on the field, right? Leave it all on the field, deal with it on the field, scoreboard, et cetera. But that's not Cleveland. Cleveland is all about chip on your shoulder. You punch me, I'm gonna punch you back. You know, LeBron leaves. Hate everybody hates him, right? LeBron comes back, welcome back, wins the championship, he leaves, and you see everybody's a little like, God, I don't like him. Like, thanks for the championship. But screw you, right? That's Cleveland. So Baker Mayfield planting the flag at Ohio State, grabbing his junk on the sidelines, doing that kind of stuff. That's Cleveland. So I think you're seeing this great matchup of John Dorsey. Like you said, I'm going to tell you what I'm going to do, and then I'm going to do it. Freddie Kitchens, Baker Mayfield, Odell Beckham. You start getting these guys. These are Cleveland guys. Uh, you know, not from, but adopted by. So there's the part of me that sits back and it's like, well, Andrew Luck's not going out there doing that. But Andrew Luck wouldn't be a Cleveland guy. 
Baker Mayfield is. So part of me absolutely loves it. And the other part of me is like, oh, man, but you haven't done enough on the field to show that you can back it up yet. I agree wholeheartedly. And that's a good way to kind of put a bow on the discussion that we, we started with here, talking about the mentality from top to bottom in the organization being aligned. How about the organization from the top to bottom and through the city being aligned? I mean, they all echo what this city has been saying for years. You know, the chip on the shoulder that this city has always being uh, put down in the media. I mean, Colin Cowherd is obviously the one that sticks out all the time. He's always busting on Cleveland. It's, it's not, a, not a glamorous place to live. And because of that, uh, the people here have a big chip on their shoulder. And we finally have a team that embodies that as well. So it should be, should be really fun here. Um, I think you're finally going to have some really fantasy-relevant guys in Cleveland. And it's just, just super exciting with the, the amount of talent they brought, and especially Odell Beckham. And uh, I, I think that, that segues very nicely to uh, where we should probably go with the NFL News and Notes next. Um, you know, the Giants and all their fans have been very out there and telling us what a distraction Odell Beckham was coming to Cleveland. Um but there, there's a guy out there who reminds you that uh, you could have done way worse out there. Mr. Yeah. Antonio Brown, going to turn the spotlight to you. Oh, so let's talk about Antonio Brown, right? So now I think we have to remember that Hard Knocks is in Oakland. Antonio Brown goes to France, gets his cryotherapy. Uh, you're supposed to. He doesn't. I don't know if he wasn't told, didn't do it, whatever it is. He didn't do it. Uh, so his feet have been bothering him. They they highlighted it in in uh, hard knocks. He hasn't really been able to practice, um, even though he shows up to training camp in a hot air balloon, right? Now, his feet are getting better, uh, but he's got a new problem. The NFL has come out and said, you know, hey, we're taking player safety very seriously. We're taking these head injuries seriously and we are banning a bunch of helmets we will have an approved list that is uh, tested by a third-party source and any helmet older than 10 years is, is automatically out well antonio brown does not like this ruling there were about 15 guys in the nfl who this will affect antonio brown's one of them um he is saying that he's not going to play if he can't play with his helmet. Uh, Tony, is this just a guy trying to get out of camp, or do you think there's some merit to this and we might see Antonio sit out some games? I don't think we're going to see him sit out games. Because um, to me, you just signed a new contract where you have $30 million guaranteed coming to you. And I'm supposed to believe you're going to walk away from all that money because you can't decide on one of the 34 approved helmets that are out there. Uh, <laughs> no, but this is typically Antonio Brown. Like if you told me, I, I mean, it's crazy that the whole story with the cryotherapy and his feet is not the most bizarre story that came out in one week on this guy, but it's very typical Antonio Brown. Um, as you mentioned, Hard Knocks being there. I mean, this is obviously great storylines for Hard Knocks. The HBO staff has to be eating this up, especially after last year. I feel like the Browns set the bar pretty high with where Hard Knocks left off, and the Raiders are just taking it and running with it this year. But I, I don't believe that this is like some scheme that 
they're putting together to get ratings there. Like I, they definitely want him in camp. He's he doesn't have much experience catching balls from Derek Carr. Um, he doesn't have any chemistry with his teammates right now. He really doesn't have any idea what it's like to be an Oakland Raider or play for John Gruden. Trust me, they want him there. And I think this is starting to really uh, irritate them. And you're starting to see why the Steelers were so, you know, amenable to getting rid of him. Yeah. And I think here's the thing. If you perform on the field, I think a lot of this stuff gets forgiven. Um, he's not the only guy affected by this. Aaron Rodgers is affected by this rule. Tom Brady's affected by this rule. And both have come out and said, you know, hey, we're, we, we want to keep our helmets. We know the risk. Uh, but I think if you're the NFL, you can't you can't go by that anymore. You've had too much in the news. You have kids not playing football. I mean, peewee football is down big time. Um, middle school, high school football is down big time because of the the player safety concerns. And I, this is just this is an easy decision for the NFL to make. Like, yeah, if it's 10 years old, it's not approved by the N.O.C.S.A.E., uh, then you can't have it. And that's that's pretty basic. Um so this is just, like you said, giant distraction. Um, but at the end of the day, man, you know, you hire John Gruden, you hire Mike Mayock. You're looking for you're looking for highlights. You're getting ready to move to Vegas. You're looking for storylines. So I think I don't know if the Raiders are really upset by this. I think as long as he shows up on the field for regular season. I, I think this kind of fits into the plan you might be right on that but i I think there's there's a a glaring omission on that side is that you know look at all the issues ab had catching balls from big ben who's one of the better quarterbacks in the league and who has great chemistry with antonio brown and can and looks for him in crunch situations and has the accuracy to put it wherever antonio brown needs it Uh, he has no chemistry at all with Derek carr none and Derek Carr is not in the same league as Big Ben. So I think this could really become an issue in Oakland because they're not exactly going to hit the ground running here. And when they start losing some games and Brown starts, you know, not getting his typical 9-10 catches a game because Carr isn't accurate enough to find him consistently, he's going to start getting back in the headlines and he's going to start – uh, causing more issues again. I, I think this is not this is not a guy who's going to go away. He's going to stay in the news, and I think the Raiders are only going to be okay with this to a point if they're winning. I'm not convinced they're going to be winning this year, um, and with a lot of the moves they've made, I'm not convinced they're going to be winning any time in the next couple years unless they get you know some, the quarterback fixed and they finally figure out you know what they want their team to be. Yeah, I think that's a good point. You know, when Antonio Brown's doing Antonio Brown things and it's mostly affecting Antonio Brown, I think the Raiders are going to be like, yeah, whatever, it's training camp. Uh, we'll see when you when the season starts. But when Antonio Brown starts coming out into the media, whether directly or indirectly against Derek Carr, I think that's when we're going to have big problems. And I don't think John Gruden is going to navigate that well, I think he's going to be TV star, Monday Night Football analyst John Gruden and not coach John Gruden. And I think the Raiders are going to be kind of where they've been the last few years. And that is a media laughingstock uh, while they put up subpar seasons. So I think, you know, my take is this is Antonio Brown 
doing Antonio Brown things, doesn't really want to be in camp. Um, you know, but I think I do think this is the call for bigger problems down the line in the near future. Yeah, if we look at Pittsburgh right now, they're having their quietest training camp in years, and I, I think they have to be loving it. No Le'Veon, no Antonio Brown. It's just it's just football in Pittsburgh right now, and I think they they have to be enjoying the reset on their side. Right. You know, and as you talk about noisy and, and quiet camps, you know, the, like like we talked about the Browns earlier, they're noisy, but they're they're kind of noisy for the right reasons. You know, they're excited. Um, act like you've been there before. They haven't been there before. This is all brand new. This is the first time that I think everybody's been excited about it. So it's it's different versus the Raiders, where this is all distraction on a year with hard knocks there that your whole offseason's a big distraction anyways, and all you're doing is adding to it. So where the players are going to be asked about the Antonio Brown situation, multiply that by four because you have all the HBO headlines also. So it's just a recipe for disaster. Um, But yeah, I think if you're a Pittsburgh fan right now, you're sitting back saying, yep, welcome to Antonio Brown. And thank God he's not on our team anymore. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, And and just going back to the helmet thing, I'm I'm really looking forward to the ruling coming from NFL this week on on the helmet. I'm I'm assuming they're going to tell him to uh, go kick rocks. Um, and if you really want to retire over helmet, go retire because as they just spent billions of dollars in lawsuits for these head injuries and, uh, they want this to go away. So no, they're, you have 34 approved helmets out there. Go pick one of them. Yeah. And it, you know, if Tom Brady's willing to pick a new helmet, they certainly are not going to bend for Antonio Brown. No, and it, it, it's just, it's very convenient that we have the fantasy owner of Antonio Brown coming up here in a little bit. Dave Pestian, anxious to hear what he has to say about this whole saga. Yeah, I am too. Um, So with that segue, uh, we're going to take a quick break and we'll be back with coach Dave Pestian. I'm Derek Frost from the Frosty podcast. Thanks for listening and be sure to listen to our other podcasts from Steel Valley Media. And without further ado, here's more Frosty podcast. Welcome back, Frosty Podcast listeners. Joining us on the Frosty Hotline is the last coach to win the championship in the Fortune 500 League, not named Groover. However, last year he finished 5-8, and eight, bottom team in the division, qualifying for the Toilet Bowl. Uh, but this year he is looking for some redemption. Help us welcome Coach Dave Pestian. Dave, how you doing? Frosty, my man, how you doing? TP man, how you doing? We are good, coach. How are you? Not too bad. Just getting pumped up, ready for the season. Obviously, today is a Sunday. Just trying to train myself for the the pre-gaming rituals and and getting pumped up for uh, for some football. So, gonna go ahead and get this party started right now. Here we go. How many deep are you already, Dave? Uh, uh, I mean, less than five for sure. Okay. Well, you have a couple of weeks to build that up. so that's Right, fair. right, right. Yeah, this is shameful in my opinion. It's important to point out to the listeners, we are recording at 11 a.m. on Sunday. <clears throat> that shit's five deep. I don't know about that. <laughs> All right, mm. so, so <laughs> last year you go five and eight. 
Uh, definitely not the season you wanted. Worst team in the division. Uh, what went wrong? Well, you know, I, I'm, I'm not 100% sure. I don't think I paid enough attention to uh, some, some key aspects. During the season, I have a tendency to, to lack my ability to catch people on uh, on the waiver wire and pick up some some decent free agents. And I think that over time, that that's been one of my uh, downfalls in the league overall. Um, I did get some some decent names, um, but I had a really hard time getting points out of uh, quarterbacks or uh, playing the right quarterbacks. Um, some of my, my running backs, obviously I had some, some good performances out of Christian McCaffrey, but the other ones, you know, I, I had a, a handful to choose from and I tried to, I, I kept stocking up on running backs, but I always played the wrong one for whatever reason. Um, and, and either left, you know, a chunk of points on the bench for the week or, uh, or, or really all of my, uh, some of my players underperformed to the point where it, it would keep me outside of a uh, competitive margin for my weekly matchup. Yeah, it seems like looking back, I don't, I don't have the numbers in front of me to validate this, but it seems like your roster probably stayed the most similar to what you drafted throughout the entire season. What you had at the end of the year was closest to what you drafted out of probably anybody in the league. I don't, yeah, I don't remember a lot of moves coming from you. Yeah, I, I'd agree with that. And to be honest, not just last year. I think that it's probably a, a trend over the last uh, several seasons. And, uh, you know, I, I noticed earlier in my fantasy career with, with any organization, I, you know, I kind of traded players just to be a part of the trading atmosphere, I guess. It's, it's not a good excuse by any means. But, you know, I, I would, I would, I would take trades that I thought were decent deals that really weren't like a detriment to me, but might not have been the wisest decision. And and I, I noticed myself doing that early on, you know, probably three four years ago. And and I've tried to limit that a little bit more. And and instead of uh, you know just taking pretty pretty even trades, just thinking, well, you know. This is working for me right now. If it's not broke, don't fix it. And, and even though some of those trades coming in from coaches like Kalen King, where, you know, he's offering you two fourth tier running backs for your star wide receiver, it's tough to pass those up sometimes. But, you know, I just I, I, I had to do it. Yeah. And looking at your roster from last year, nine of your 16 uh, guys you finished the season with were drafts or keeps. Um, huh. So, you know, anecdotally, that that it seems to be near the top, if not the top of our league, as far as having that original roster throughout the year. Um, That's pretty interesting. I, I mean, do you, do you know, I don't know if you know the stat on, on what the average uh, team beginning to end looks like for, for most of the, the managers? I mean... Nine doesn't seem too bad to me. <laughs> well, for reference, I had one guy remaining oh. from my, my drafted crew, Kamara. That was it. I'm probably more uh, on the extreme side. Yeah, I'm looking at, like, Kalen King's roster. Yeah, like, Kalen King's roster had six. 
Tyler had eight. Um, let's look at Joe here. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. So, I mean, I don't think you're like an outlier, but sure, sure. you are the most of uh, the teams I'm looking at here. Tim Taff, one, two, three, four. Um, so, but we know Tim. Tim's one of our most active in the waiver wire. Sure. Uh, my sure. team last year, one, two, three, four, five, five. Uh, okay. So, I mean, definitely on the higher side of the scale, but um, no, I mean, that's something worth keeping in mind and, and knowing how uh, how that, that plays against me. You know, and looking at your roster from last year, um, y- you you have a lot of guys who were in the middle. Um, so if we look at your some anybody in your top 10 player rank, Christian, McCaff- uh, Christian McCaffrey uh, is number two, great player. Jared, mm-hmm. uh, Jared Cook, number five, tight end. Jared Goff, number seven. Antonio Brown, number five. Um, and then Falcons defense, 10. Everybody else is somewhere in the 20s, uh, 30s. Like the, You didn't really have – you had a few top 10 guys and then nobody until the 20s. Um, so you were battling with a roster that just seemed to be generally underperforming all year. Yeah, that's fair to say. I, I was pretty top heavy, and I still agree with the the draft strategy and pickup strategy of going pretty top heavy. Um, it, it's kind of a boomer bust sort of thing, high risk, high reward. Where if if you know you're investing. I don't know, 60 to 75% of your salary cap on uh, three to four players, you're pretty much depending on those three to four players. But if they perform up to up to uh, snuff and, and how I expect them to perform, then, you know, you get results like we did in, in year one when, um, when I ended up winning it. So uh, I, I guess the downside of that is how I've, performed the last two years for the most part yeah it just shows the risk of the strategy um when you have somebody who goes down with an injury like aj green did for most of the season or you have right. somebody who just goes off the grid like uh ab did um there's a lot of risk baked into that strategy but if right. you get them all through the entire season you're gonna be sitting pretty at the end of the day yeah i mean that's that's a, a perfect uh, example of of the pros and cons of that mentality is you know ab has been pricey for me and uh i've kept him for uh, a few years now uh, and it's typically always been worth it there's really not been too much hesitation until uh leading up to this current season where you know i i've, I've got to make a decision on whether or not uh his increased uh price is worth his pretty consistent value um but in in the past he's performed very well. But then you look at AJ Green and I basically spent the same amount for him, and uh, and it was the exact opposite result. So Dave, if you keep Antonio Brown this year, do you know what helmet he's going to be wearing for you this year? Um, so I I think he I I spoke with him recently. We're good friends. He said he's he's switching things up. No helmet this year. No helmet. <laughs> that might be what he's stuck with at this point. <laughs> oh man, 
Yeah, I don't know. It, it's it's super interesting. I mean, it really, obviously, being a Browns fan, seeing the the changes and things that are going on from the Pittsburgh team. You know, they went from two years ago having socked players at a lot of positions to, uh, you know, we'll see. Not that they still don't have some 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 good receivers that are there that'll step up, but it'll make it a lot easier, I think, for uh, defenses and and things like that to to handle the Steelers, which is exactly what we want. So staying in that lane of looking back to last year, let's look at your keepers here. So you kept two guys. First off was Antonio Brown. Um, you kept him for 55. <laughs> there, goes, there goes number six on the day for Dave. Uh, so you kept him for 55. Auction value, ESPN had it 52. Gave you a frosty score of six. Um, and then the next one, Tony and I really bashed early on in this podcast. Matt Stafford. You kept him for six. ESPN had him for two. Uh, gets a frosty score of negative 30. Um, and that led to one of two discussions on Matt Stafford that we've had in this league. So, uh, Dave, wh- how do you respond to your keepers from last year? Dave, as you're breaking down your uh, keepers, can you also start with Stafford, please? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, it's the refs. Let's be honest. Like They've always had it out for him. Never gets a fair shot. It's I I, sh- I should have known better. I really should have. But another perspective uh, of how I've approached the league, and clearly, you know, it, it's it's not gone very well. But you know, as we started playing fantasy a few years ago, um, I I put a lot of heart and soul into my team and into my gameplay. And it was so easy. I just walked all the way, all the way to the championship and won it. It, it was it was just way too easy. So I, I decided last year and the year before, maybe I challenged myself a little bit and, and, and decrease my salary cap just to give everybody else a shot. And, um, you know, it, 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 it bit me in the ass a little bit. But uh, basically, you can you can kind of compare it to uh, – like golf and, and having like a, a handicap, except uh, instead of a handicap of strokes, I was I was playing against folks with uh, a mental handicap. So I figured I'd try to balance things out a little bit and and give them a better shot at beating me because let's be honest, it was it was just super easy to win the first year and and um, and Stafford, uh, I knew he was I absolutely knew and planned for him to be, uh, I guess, a, a terrible money pit of a decision. I would like to go through the quarterbacks that you could have gotten cheaper oh, in the draft. I have to do that. <laughs> Patrick Mahomes, Ben Roethlisberger, Matt Ryan, Andrew Luck, Carson Wentz, Jared Goff, Dak Prescott, Philip Rivers, Derek Carr. There were more on that list. Those are just the ones that I thought were worth mentioning. Those all cost less than, uh, in some cases, most cases, significantly less than Matt Stafford cost you to keep him. Well, also, you're right. You're right. But also... (laughs) 
technically, he was a dollar plus the five dollar tax. I've got no room to defend myself. <laughs> I, I, I am half decent with numbers, something I do with a living or do for a living rather. But, uh, you know, I think last year was the first year for that five dollar tax, and I don't know. Maybe I was, I was uh, under the influence of something. I, 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 I don't know. I, I thought it sounded like a good idea at the time, but man, it was not. I'm quite confident you could have gotten Stafford for a dollar in the draft if you wanted to have him. Well, you got oh, Goff I... for a dollar, and you played him most of the year. <laughs> At the times I didn't play Stafford, he went off, too. It was the worst. <laughs> so and essentially, that's... I'm hearing the Stafford decision was based – it was a money ball decision. It was, you know, why'd you trade Pena? <laughs> sure. he, he was too good. He's making everybody else look bad. Yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll go with that. I mean, you can pick any reason. None of it's still going to sound great, but blame it on the refs, you know, whatever you want to do there. But it uh, it did not it did not work out. My quarterbacks in general just really weren't, like, spectacular. Even Goff wasn't overperforming really too much throughout the season. To my knowledge, I'm going to look back at some of his stuff here. But uh, let, me quick, let me quickly sidebar. Because we're going to have a draft preview episode coming up right before the draft drops. And in that, I'm sure we're going to discuss, you know, what questions do we have that we're looking forward to seeing answered in the draft? <laughs> okay. Uh, Derek, do you think we've sufficiently torched Matthew Stafford's draft value to the point where nobody's going to draft him? <laughs> I think everybody's going to be a little bit afraid to. Yeah. Um, because we, you know, they're, we're going to ridicule the hell out of them if they do take Stafford for anything over a dollar and like late round. Yeah. That's what I'm thinking too. I've got, I got a bold idea. Maybe I'll toss him out early on the draft block for a buck and see what happens. Better move. Tyler Kerr will probably try to outfit you for him. (laughs) Uh, if he, because I think this year he's going to quarterbacks instead of kickers. Yeah. So just be aware that that might be a thing. I will keep an eye out on that. So Dave, shifting gears here, let's look at keepers for this coming year. Um, who are you? Who's on your radar? Who are you looking at? Um. So, you know, for sure, I've already made the decision, and I've I've selected him as a keeper. I'm going to hang on to Christian McCaffrey. Uh, I think at the very least, he is going to be a uh, a wash as far as what I'm going to have to pay and what his value hopefully will be um, towards the end of the season. Uh, obviously, things can happen with injuries and anything like that, but I, I, I think that one's a slam dunk. I'm not getting you know a steal by any means. I'm, I'm paying what? I'd have to pay for him, but I, I think that at least locks up a position um, for for the running back slots. Yeah, uh, and so you paid forty nine for him last year, uh, so it would cost you fifty four this year. ESPN has him as fifty nine, so ESPN's still saying that's a five dollar uh, five dollar value. Uh, may just be an advanced draft pick, but you you know you have him for next year. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. And that's kind of the the security I've had with. Antonio Brown the last couple years and and you know I never got him for a steal I paid a decent amount for him year one and uh, even with the taxes it's it's still been 
a decent wash and and obviously as we we said earlier he's he's performed um to the expectations uh, but you know speaking of ab i think i think this year will be his first time going back into the draft pool yeah and so you got him for 55 last year he would cost you 60 this year espn does not have a whole lot of faith in ab out there in oakland they got him on average for 36.6 last still seems low to me it does seem a little low uh last year they were saying 52 um when you got him for 55 so it was kind of just an advanced draft pick uh, but yeah, for this year, they do not have a whole lot of faith for either AB or Derek Carr. But the combo out there in Oakland, they don't they don't believe is going to be <laughs> as fruitful as it was. Yeah. Some of that yeah. might have to do with him torching his own value in the last couple of weeks as well. Um, I'd be anxious to see if that number has changed a little bit from a couple of weeks ago to now. And I wonder too, you know, if I if I could sneak him out of the draft for forty bucks. I think I'd do it. I even like 45, I think I'd spend 60 bucks. I can't justify that, but 40, 45, uh, you know, there's no reason for me to think that his catching ability has diminished at all over the last year. Yeah. I just want to pop in on, uh, on McCaffrey real quick on that note. And just, just looking at the stats from last year, I think it's, it's almost understated how good Christian McCaffrey was last season. He had a in the passing game alone. He had 124 targets and 107 catches. That many that many catches was good for top 10 in the league of total receptions, including receivers, tight ends, oh, wow. everybody. This guy was a re- receptions monster in 2018, and uh, he's actually gonna have a, a healthy Cam Newton coming back this year. Yeah, yeah, he's he he did very well for me. Yeah, and I think with him, you kind of get overshadowed by the news that Cam Newton makes. You know, Cam Newton's a loud guy. He, he's constantly in the media. Christian McCaffrey just kind of quietly doing his thing. Uh, but he is the second top, second running back in the league last year, uh, probably mostly due to all those catches in a PPR league. But, you know, Christian McCaffrey quietly had a phenomenal season. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, I, I think he can build on that and – become even more valuable uh this upcoming year and 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 hopefully uh last for a a couple years and stay healthy and and you know get a a a few good years out of his out of his running back career and and spot comfortable spot on my roster so dave who's next on the list so i i've got two others that i'm considering I haven't made my mind up yet. I, you know, I think these will probably just be gut calls when it gets closer to the keeper lock day. Um, but I am entertaining uh, Jared Cook. Yeah, I said Jared Goff, not entertaining Jared Goff. <laughs> uh, Cook and Chris Carson. You know, I think Chris Carson did pretty well as a running back last year, and I think he started getting the the ball fed to him a little bit more often as the season advanced and and he might be worth it i spent two bucks last year in the draft so it cost him 15 if i put out 15 bucks for him i just want to make sure he can hold a starting running back slot on the team i still have to make that decision yeah carson's a tough one because he's you're they're eventually going to want to get rashad penny in there and start giving him some carries after they took him in the first round but the problem with him is they can't trust him in pass protection so 
basically takes out an entire down that he can't play. So mm-hmm. I don't know if this is the year that Penny starts really eating into Carson's carries, but I would imagine with how successful Carson was last year, he's going to get a bulk of the work, especially in an offense where they're determined to run the ball sure. like they are with Schottenheimer as, as OC. Um, Derek, do you have an average average value for where Carson's going right now? Carson, they're saying 12.2. So if you put out 15 for him, you know, you're within $3 there. So I think, you know, not a bad value, not a great value, uh, pretty much advanced draft pick. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it all comes down to, do you think that our league will pay 12 to 15 for him? Um, and if the answer is yes, then you might as well keep him. And if you think, no, he's not as well known of a guy, you know, people might not be that high on drafting him. Um then maybe throw them back out there and see if you can get them for cheaper. Yeah, that's a good point. And, and there's something I've, I've kind of brought up off the podcast was the, the way that ESPN and uh, the ESPN values auction players versus how it's more or less perceived in our league. And I'm, I'm super interested in this, but I, you know, the way I look at it is we have, uh, you know, 10 managers or if you know you're starting with a fresh team for whatever reason but essentially there are 10 teams that are in almost all cases keeping players for uh, a huge discount which is essentially pulling money uh or well i guess putting money back into the salary cap so you're, you're getting a player for let's say half his his value and then that gives you that much extra cash value to go spend. And I think the only natural result of having that extra cash flow is it increases the value of the players remaining in the draft. And, and I'm not sure, I don't have any data or, or stats to back up this claim, but I do think that, you know, at least in my mind, you almost have to throw like a 25% bump on the ESPN auction value. Um, to get a, a decent idea of of what that player is going to go for if you dump him back in the draft. So if you add that on onto Chris Carson, you know, it ends up being real close to the, the the fifteen dollars I would have to spend to keep him. Not that it was a huge difference before, but it is a little bit closer of a break-even point. So maybe I'm just slowly convincing myself to keep him as we talk. You know, Dave, I, I think that's an interesting point, and I don't, I don't have the data either on it. Um, it's actually something we will track for next year. Uh, my suspicion with this, though, is that for your top tier guys, and I'll say top tier is a value of fifty dollars or more. I think those guys are going to go for that same amount. I don't think you say, well, you know, if I'm Tony, I got Alvin Kamara cheaper, therefore I'm going to spend sixty-five instead of 55 on on a, some top-tier guy. But I think you may be onto something with a middle-tier guy like Chris Carson. Uh, you know, you're, you're not going to be drafting him in the first couple rounds. This is more of a mid-to-late-round pickup, and you will... Nice. Was that number seven? No, uh, no, 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 I was just ending six. Okay, number there's seven. number seven. Sorry, there's I didn't seven. mean to interrupt. Sorry. That's okay. Uh, so I think, though, on these mid-tier guys, when you've already spent 
probably half, if not more, of your budget on your on your top tier guys. This is where some people start looking and saying, okay, I only have a few few dollars left to spend on these middle tier guys. So I, I think you might be onto something. I'm curious to see after the draft. Um, like I said, I'm gonna I'm gonna collect that data here, and we're gonna see what the stats show. I definitely think there's a psychology to it. I think there are are things to consider, not only where that player stands in his relative player rankings, but also even uh, when they're thrown on the on the draft block during the entire draft. A lot of people have different strategies on how much they want to spend for a player. If they go into it thinking, okay, I'm not going to exceed $45 for a running back or wide receiver – and then sometimes, and it's happened to me, but sometimes those managers uh, find themselves in a position where all the the decent players are gone and they have no choice but to, to get into a bidding war with somebody else and end up tossing extra money out for a, a player that might not necessarily be worth it. Well, it's all in the draft strategy, right? It's... It's in that case when you have somebody who's kept players for very low value and then um, have a lot of extra cash to spend, you're going to get some of the people that are going to go in, balls to the walls, and throw sixty, fifty-five dollars at people. Those guys, those guys aren't the people you'd be worried about in a Chris Carson situation. You'd be sure. worried about the people that have gone the save the money route, the ones that we're not going to, we're not going to spend. 50 plus dollars. We're going to sit back, let the draft come to us. We're going to go in that 30, $40 range. And then all of a sudden they're inflating some values of people that are probably in the $15 range. And they're paying 20 to 25 bucks for them. So you kind of have to almost the first pass through the draft, you kind of have to feel out what everybody's strategies are going to be uh, to know um, who you're going to pay up for and who you aren't. And that might dictate who you're going to nominate when you're, sure. when you're throwing guys out there. Because I think I think I think you see you see two tiers to this once you get down to that level of player with the Chris Carsons. They're either going to go for way over that value because of this, or if people have spent up their money and they just haven't, they've just gone through a lot of stretches and haven't gotten nominated. They might go for dirt cheap and we go for way under that. Right. I know over right. the years I've gotten some guys for three, four, five bucks that were projected to go fourteen, fifteen dollars just because they kind of just got forgotten throughout the draft. And by the time they actually got nominated, they were just nobody had money left. So it's an interesting point. So Dave, I mean, how does that go now into your your draft strategy overall? Um, you know, so you're looking to keep keep two, maybe three guys. Do we go? Do we go through all your keepers? Uh, yeah, I, I brought up Jared Cook as well as a potential. Um, it, I, I think that you know, there's some value to that. Obviously. We all know tight ends are, you know, slim pickings at this point. Um, he he might be one. You know, I I might even be more willing to hold on to him for a, a total uh, cost of six dollars than towards Chris Carson. But I, I'm I'm not sure. I'm still I'm still wavering on that one. All I know right now is currently uh, McCaffrey is is a lock and. Uh, We'll see what happens in the upcoming weeks for the others. Yeah, and that's so, a tough decision with how how depleted the tight end <clears throat> landscape is. So sure. if you have a tight end that you like and that you would think, hey, I'm probably going to draft this guy on draft day, 
at six bucks might be worth holding on to because obviously the top three aren't going to be there. So your Kelsey, Ertz, Kittle, they're all gone. Yeah. So then you're sitting back looking at what the tight ends available are going to be. And Cook might be right up there near the top of those guys. Yeah, I think the the tight end landscape, and we've talked about it here, um, has been really, really depleted. Uh, you know, not that long ago, we had we had 10 really good tight ends that, you know, any one of them could go off any given week. But I, I, those days are gone and you have four, five, uh, you know, Gronk watch. And that's why, you know, we've talked about it before. <laughs> Gronk it, is probably going to get drafted by somebody um, because they're going to be looking and saying, well, I don't really have a tight end, uh, depending on how much you believe he's coming back. You know, it, it may be it may be worth throwing out a dollar there at the end of the draft. Yeah, I think the question to ask yourself at the tight ends uh, when you when you're evaluating, looking at them, trying to decide whether you want to draft them is, can I see this person getting me uh, five catches for 50 yards every week? You know, benchmark, you want somebody who's going to get you like 10 points or more each week. If you're using 10 as like your bare minimum, I want somebody who can get me this every week. That's five catches, 50 yards in our league. Do you think the person you're targeting can do that? If not, maybe not worth taking a swing or maybe just not as your number one tight end at least. Sure. No, that's a good way to look at it. So Dave, looking at draft strategy then for this year, uh, what's your overall uh, strategy going in? It looks like last year, you know, you had your two keepers, uh, one for 55, one for six. Um, then you, you looks like you spent big 53 on AJ green, 49 on Christian McCaffrey. Um, and then everybody else, I think you got a little scared and you went down, uh, didn't spend more than $11 on anybody else on the team. Uh, what's your strategy going into it this year? So I'll say, um, for one, um, uh, it was never a fear of spending money. It was a lack of money to spend, um, which I've ran into, and honestly, I'd rather be in that situation every single draft than have 20 bucks sitting in the bank at the end of it. So I, as far as my strategy goes, I think I'm going to try to look for at least one big addition to the team. Whether it's good value or not, I don't care. I'm not afraid to spend money. I'll get in a bidding war and jack the price up to $75 if I have to, if I think it's going to be worth it. I, 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 I think I'm probably going to stick with a very top-heavy system. Um, I, I, I think you got to get some players that have the potential of putting 20 to 30 points up on a relatively consistent basis with you know the possibility of those explosive weeks where they're, they're really uh, outperforming everybody on on your team and the the team of of the opponent uh so i think that's what what i'm going to go into it with is ready to spend money um you know maybe within the first 10 minutes of the draft i'm uh i'm out of money and i'm hanging out for the next two hours i'm not worried about that uh but and that's what happened last year and and to be honest i I think what really was detrimental was just uh, some injuries specifically with AJ Green. And, uh, and then, you know, after that, it was kind of, uh, it was just kind of a tough season for me. So I'm ready to spend money. 
I'm trying to pick up some big names, you know, those household names that everybody knows, uh, and, and, and hopefully they'll pan out for me in the long run. Absolutely. You got to sell some tickets, right? Oh yeah. <laughs> Is there any position you're targeting with, with most of your money? You, you think in running back and thinking receiver, or you just letting it come to you? Yeah, probably the latter more than anything. Um, as much as I'd love to say, you know, with with releasing AB from the team, that I got to fill the void with a receiver. You know, points are points. It doesn't really matter where they come from. If if I see somebody that's up for bid, and I know there's a really good chance of them putting up big points, regardless of the position. Maybe Matthew Stafford shows up, and I think, man, this guy's just gonna roll out this year. Then I'll I'll, <laughs> I'll put them. <laughs> I'll put the money out for him. Uh, I, I think uh, I, I think I'll probably lean more on running backs and receivers, um, but but we'll see. You know, I, and to be honest, I'm I'm still curious to know what receivers and running backs are going to be available out there. We haven't really seen a list of of players that are available in the draft yet, just with keepers being hidden uh, for another week or two i guess uh and then and then once i get that it might sway me in one direction i'm interested because you've had two off seasons um and you are a guy that gets most of your roster in the draft but you're not changing the strategy you think you think it's tried and true just a couple fluke years i don't know i i don't you know i think it has the potential of working out i think for somebody like me my fantasy play style and by that i mean activity more or less um i i think this draft method (laughs) i think it it bodes well for me i i think that i can depend on some big names and then you know if if you're getting the majority of your weekly points from three or four guys uh then, then those other points, you know, maybe, maybe, yeah, they're underperforming, and there were some uh, midweek decisions I could make, or sits and starts, uh, or trades and availability out there. But if it's the difference between, you know, three or four points on the final score versus uh, not forking up the big cash, that could be a difference of 20 points on the final score. You know, I, that's the way I look at it. it, it not that I'm not interested and active in the league, but I definitely don't have the football knowledge and team and, and, and synergy and player knowledge that some of the guys in the, in the draft have. I mean, even Coach TP over here, he, uh, he, he knows football really well. Tim knows football. Steve knows football. Derek, even, even you know football you know, very well, and I'm sure there's others that I'm forgetting in. Um, even Charlie coming in, he, like, even the conversations I've been a part of, it's very clear to me and anybody in the room that you guys know things on a, on a different level than I do. And, you know, I got to I got to play to my uh, my ability in some cases. What we're all looking for, Dave, is just synergy, just more synergy, synergy. That's what we're looking for. Now, I will say this to your defense, Dave, because, you know, we've kind of hit on you hard in here but um you know aj green going down that that's an unforeseen thing that happens you know you're talking to tony who had uh, major injury problems last year 
Um, I lost my number one or number two running back all year. Uh, but looking at last year for you, your points for were just under 1,600, um, which didn't light the league up by any means, um, but was in uh, the bottom half but near the bubble. But your points against was second most in the league, only second to uh, Coach Allback. So I think you, you know, you had your roster issues that we've talked about. But I think some of it for you was just bad luck. Which makes sense why I stumbled on answering that question so much. Yeah, that's probably the reason. Now, <laughs> last episode, or uh, two episodes ago, rather, we talked about uh, the new divisions. We talked about uh, the schedule coming out. And you are going up against Groover. Uh, for that rivalry, and you guys have been friends for a long time, um, and we're talking, we're calling it the Meanderwood Melee like that it. we're going to see week seven, um, as well as week twelve. Any comments on that that rivalry between you and Steve? It it has been a difficult one. Even last year, I mean, obviously Steve had a a, a monster season, and he was he was tough to beat. But I, I I'm pretty sure I I. I was close with him on a couple games. I, I think some of our uh, some of our matchups might have uh, you know been in the running, and it looked like a possible win for me early on. Probably by the Sunday night game, Monday night game, maybe he broke away a little bit more. Uh, but they've always been good matchups and, and a good competitive uh, game. And hopefully, I can I can win back a few more this year. I know not only with Steve, but uh, the other guys in the division uh, or the conference that I'm in, it's it's going to be tough to to be in the top tier there. Uh, we've got we've got some big big players, uh, and and I'm just hoping to to hold my own up against these guys. All right, let's, let's switch gears and close out on a topic that is near and dear to all of our hearts. What are your thoughts on the ACT penalty? Too harsh or fair? Well, you know, everyone has a pretty strong opinion about it, to be honest. It, it seems like, yeah, you know, I, I think Tyler last week said, if you don't like it, get out. I don't disagree with that. I think he's got a good point, good perspective. Um, some people have been pretty upset we haven't really heard any voices that have said it's uh way too harsh we need to remove it i think it's a great idea i was on board with it as soon as uh this this idea uh, hatched in our league and i'm still on board with it all i'll say is if i would have lost the toilet bowl last year I would have taken the test, 100%. Uh, or, well, attempted to take the test. The, I guess the only thing I, I worry about is I, I don't want to be a distraction to a young high school child that's trying to do something. You know, I, I remember how miserable those tests were, and I was a sober 17-year-old. Um, I'm not saying... It, the misery I'd go through sitting for the test. I, I, I just, yeah, I wouldn't want to affect anybody else. However, with that being said, if, if I were to lose and say this year, I'm, I'm in last place and I lose the toilet bowl, I would leave it to the league 
and let everybody decide which way um, and by which way I mean either you know going to, to sit in a, a school classroom to take it or uh, the suggestion I believe coach Reedy had uh, for for taking the test in a different environment and kind of proctoring it internally um, I, I'd be on game with either of those uh, and honestly doing it at a bar might be worse than doing it at a high school worse in a good way right like more fun for everybody else except the test taker is that what you mean yeah worse for me yeah like but but i i also add to that that i i I might not have as strong of feelings about it either way as everybody else uh i'm okay with it i don't have a problem with it i'm not you know does it stink that we haven't had anybody sit for it absolutely um but I'm, 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 I just don't think I have as strong of an opinion as some of the other coaches in the league. It's kind of interesting. We only have a few interviews with coaches left at this point. It feels like we haven't really talked to many people who are against the ACT punishment, uh, whether that takes the form it did last year or whether we go to a self-proctoring version of it. It seems like everybody at least uh, – enjoys the concept and wants to keep building around it. Yeah, I think so too. Um, but I wonder, you know, if, if we asked this question at the beginning of last season, what, what were, what were the results going to be? And, you know, obviously towards the end of the season, we had a handful of people that weren't interested in, in taking that test, which again, you know, I get, it's not a huge deal, but, uh, who knows what happens between now and the end of the season when you're pretty much a lock for the toilet bowl and, and you could be potentially the one taking the test. Yeah. Well, Dave, uh, I think we appreciate you being on the show. Uh, I know you're an active listener of the show, so thank you uh, for for listening and commenting. Um, and that's uh, is that number eight? You bet. And actually, I'd like to a toast here um to my team name i have established it hasn't been officially released on the uh the league board here but i put some thought into this and i thought i'd spring it on you guys at the end uh you know we contacted a lot of companies to see if we get some sponsors and weren't sure what the results were going to be but they were overwhelmingly positive almost to the point where there was too much money coming into the organization. It was in excess of millions. Unbelievable. So we had no choice but to take a page out of the politician playbook and form a super sack, which will be my team name, super sack. And uh, I look forward to disguising the funds and uh, cooking the books and, and keeping everything under wraps without uh, much exposure to the media this year. And, uh, and I'll be officially changing my name on the league website here soon. Breaking news from Dave Peschen. Super Sack is going to be the name of Dave Peschen's team. Coach, thanks for joining us. Always a pleasure. Uh, we'll catch you next time here. Thanks for having me, guys. Really had a good time. Uh, take care. Have a good one, Dave. 
So a reminder to everyone, the trade period opens tomorrow, Monday, August 12th at 8 o'clock Eastern. That's p.m. Keepers are due Monday, August 19th, 8 p.m. Eastern time. The draft, Monday, August 26th, 8 p.m. Eastern time. Uh, make sure you get your dues into Joe Reedy before draft day. Coach, have you paid up yet? I have not, but uh, that's on my list of things to do this week. Catch us next time. We'll have Coach Tim Taft with us talking about playing in the Toilet Bowl playoffs last year, his unorthodox draft strategy, and if he's looking to change his strategy coming into this year. On behalf of the Fortune 500 League, he's Tony Perenni. I'm Derek Frost. Here's to hoping you don't have to sharpen your pencils. Thank you.